Alright guys, we're back for another episode about conditions, because there's so freaking many of them, but before we launch into the main episode, let's talk for a moment about freedom of movement, because this is one of those things that just drives me up the freaking wall as a DM, I want to know your opinion, let me break it down for you really quickly, it's a 4th level abjuration, range is touch, and it takes one action to cast, uh, it lasts for an hour, that's the key part here that drives me fucking crazy, but it's for bards, clerics, druids, and rangers, so, um... It's divine, but also bards, okay? You do you, but here's what happens. You touch a willing creature for the duration the target's movement is unaffected by difficult terrain, and spells and other magical effects can neither reduce the target's speed nor cause the target to be paralyzed or restrained. That's magical effects, which means you can still get grappled. The target can also spend five feet of movement to automatically uh, escape from non-magical restraints, such as manacles, or a creature that has it grappled. So, there you go. Finally, being underwater imposes no penalties on the target's movement or attacks. Guys, is this shit broken? For fourth level, yes. is this broken? Well, for fourth level, it's pretty cool. But, it like, I feel like it's broken because it's not concentration. Like, I just bitched about how upset I was that the other movement abilities were concentration forced. This one is not, but it lasts for a fucking hour. That's a good so, argument. It's a good argument. Right? Like, every other movement capability in this game is concentration, or any buff or debuff is concentration. So why yeah. is this one special? I don't have too much beef with the most part of it. I mean, it's fourth level. I mean, you're not getting it for free. you got to blow a fourth level spell. And if you just got those fourth level slots, like, it's, you know, you're making a big decision to do this. The part I don't like is that you can escape from manacles uh, and other non-magical restraints uh, with just using five feet of movement. I don't see how, essentially, just because you've become Quicksilver doesn't mean that you're now an expert of escaping restraints. Those are two different skills, two different abilities. So I, I don't like that part of it. The duration, yeah, it's a little bit long. I mean, one minute, realistically. Let's say, let's use this for combat, you know. Um, but the the main beef for me is the escaping the manacles and non-magical restraints. Like, is, is it just me? <laughs> is it just me? Or are you turning into Gumby with this? Like, is that the flavor of this? That you're ignoring difficult terrain because your feet just mold over all of the shit? And, and <laughs> you're, you're just, you're Mr. Fantastic by the end of this, right? Or... Or fucking plastic man. I, I just imagined like the Family Guy greased up noodle guy, the one that the one that deaf guy. Can. Yeah, that guy. Well, you gonna, didn't want to say deaf, did you, Megan? I, I just forgot that was an aspect to it. <laughs> Listen to the previous uh, conditions episode. No, the uh, I'm gonna call him Noodle Guy from now on. Also, that's my nickname for Dan. I'm gonna write down greased up deaf guy as an enemy. There you go. <laughs> Who just only uses freedom of movement to piss off its people. <laughs> He will not obey the command spell you. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast with your DMs, Adam, Terry, and Megan. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I'm Adam, and with me are Terry and Megan, and today we're talking about condition effects again. So... We're really focusing, I guess, this one on your basic movement stuff and and how well you can be found, right? So you're running and you're hiding. Let's start off with hiding, but there's a couple of things to go over. So guys, this is gonna be, this is gonna be a, a bit of a slog. You're gonna hear my voice for a little bit, but bear with me, okay? I'm gonna get through as quickly as possible. First of all, let's look at hiding, and we got to get really rules as written about this shit because it's gonna get really nitpicky. 
Stealth. You make a dexterity check when you attempt to conceal yourself from enemies, slink past guards, slip away without being noticed, or sneak up on someone without being seen or heard. So, if you succeed on a stealth check, you are not seen or heard. When you try to hide, you make a stealth check until you are discovered or you stop hiding. That check's total is contested by the passive perception check or the active perception check of any creature that is searching for signs of your presence. Which means you roll stealth once, rules is written, and whatever it is, that's going to essentially be the DC of them trying to look for you. You can't hide from a creature that can see you. If you make noise, such as shouting or uh, shouting a warning or knocking over a vase, you give away your position, and a visible creature can't be seen, so it can always try to hide. Signs of its passage might still be noticed, however, and it still has to stay quiet. In combat, most creatures stay alert for signs of danger all around, so if, if you come out of hiding and approach a creature, it usually sees you. Rogues take note of that shit. However, under certain circumstances, the DM might allow you to stay hidden as you approach a creature that is distracted. That's a lot to fucking unpack, and we're about halfway there. So, first and foremost, is anybody using the hide appropriately in combat, or are we all just fucking broken on it? <laughs> Everyone tries to get away with it in a broken manner. Like, everybody has that rogue that's going to stand in the middle of the room and claim I'm hidden. And you're like, stop it. <laughs> yeah, I think it needs to be one of those ones that's made very made very clearly from the start. And, and I think there's equal blame on DM and player side. And, okay, let's just get ahead. Let's go on with the game. We've talked about stuff with Session Zero before. But, but it's a critical thing. You know, can I be seen or not? It's critical. And I think the blame goes on, on, on either side for the most part. Well, it's so vague, right? Like, you're talking about, yeah. if the, is a creature distracted, right? Is it looking for yeah. the tracks that you are leaving behind? My average patrolman, my guard, whatever, is not doing that. But but a ranger NPC might. A bugbear yeah. would. A dire wolf would probably try to sniff you out. But you're going to... And there are some things out there that have keen smell, too. Like, it's kind of built. It's implied. Yeah. But, I mean... Your, your average construct, your golem, isn't going to look and see where are the footsteps in the dust, right? So it's really down to the DM understanding their their NPCs and their monsters, isn't it? I would say so, because it also comes down to like their intelligence level. If they see that track, do they know it's the track they're looking for, mm -hmm. right? So like to your point, if a golem comes across a bunch of tracks, they're going to be like, oh, that's nice, and then probably walk away, even if they do see them. Yeah. Whereas, like, so it's almost like you as the DM, if you're looking at, like, your monsters and their capabilities of hunting down and finding your teammate, it does come to you to determine if they would give a shit if they saw footprints there. Yeah, and I think it's, like, common sense has to come in with it as well. So, I mean, you can argue as a player all day, well, you know, you can't see me, you can't hear me. Yeah, dude, but this is a patrol, and like we said before, the, the wolf or the dog or whatever can smell you. You've left footprints. The, if, you know, they have keen smell, which means they get advantage on perception checks that, that require smell and hearing. If, if they've located you, if their dog is interested in something over there, the people that are with that animal are also going to be interested in what's over there. Now they've seen your footprints. Now now you're a bard, so they can smell your cologne. You know, it's um, it, it, I think it can only last for so long. Specifically in D&D &D worlds, where it is known that this magic exists. Yeah. Look, I, I agree. The 
the thing that bothers me more than anything else in this is the word distracted. Hmm. It it like what when do you decide what distracted means? How distracted yeah. do you have to be, right? And and what do you do with that distraction? Do mm-hmm. you just say, "Yep, that guy, like I as an itchy butthole for twenty five seconds." Yeah, you can you can get sneak up on him. Is that enough? Or are you adding plus two or negative two modifiers or plus five negative five modifiers to perception or or stealth or what are we doing with this? It's it's very very imprecise and so i feel like yeah. this is a, up to a lot of dms to try to figure this shit out so um it and, and, and sorry adam go on. no i just think this is why a lot of people get intimidated by hiding and why a lot of rogues and players and bards especially th- like this stuff creates arguments at the table because these guys are the ones that say oh no i distracted him or isn't he distracted by this no oh, there's a barbarian raging in his face is he not distracted and what do you say as a DM for that, right? Now you've got party politics around the table and you're arguing. Yeah, I mean, if it goes in in combat, I would go off passive perception because there's a lot going on. So if you roll 21, their passive perception is 19. They, they're not interested in you or have not observed you at that point. But in that same vein, I think any time, any time the situation changes, even slightly, if, if the rogue is hidden and they're like, oh, I'm going to reach for this dagger or whatever... Okay, dude. Well, you're carrying a backpack. You insisted on carrying 12 daggers. For some reason, you want to carry 3,000 gold coins, and now you're reaching into your pouches to find something. You're making noise. It can only go so far before I think they're forced to do that stealth check again. I I agree with you. Um, so here's the next thing. Do you guys allow someone to re-roll stealth? They try to hide, and they know they've got about a minute before anybody else can show up, right? So they hide. They roll at 14. They don't know if that's good enough. Do they say, hold on, I'm going to take a couple seconds and try again? Do you let them as a DM? Or, like, is it one roll, that's it? I, honestly, like, I've seen it go both ways. But I think the most fair aspect is you have to try something different. Like, you're stand- if you're standing in the same place trying the same thing again, I would almost make you roll at disadvantage. To say that you're trying to do the same thing you did before. If something is in this room, you are twice now in the open, right? So I would feel if they wanted to roll again to see if they get that stealth check, they have to try it different. Whether they role play that they're moving differently, whether they shift behind a box that they now see in the corner, being like, mm, maybe that's a better place to hide. Like you have to do something different, in my opinion, to be able to roll again. I agree one hundred percent. I do that with all skills. If, if you want to do it a second yeah. time, what are you doing differently? Okay, let's jump into the to the rest of it now. Passive perception. When you hide, there's a chance that someone will notice you, even if they aren't searching. To determine whether a creature notices you, the DM compares your stealth check with the creature's passive perception score. That's pretty standard, right? Um, and for those, so if you don't know what a passive perception score is, then it is the uh, it's ten plus the creature's wisdom modifier, as well as any other bonuses or penalties. For example, if the creature would have advantage, you add five. For disadvantage, you subtract five to the passive. That's right there in the rule set. So what? Yeah. here's the next thing. What can you see? One of the main factors in determining whether or not you can find a hidden creature or object is how well you are seen in an area. It says if a creature can see you, you can't hide. Which, I mean, how does that work in a crowded market? Right? How does that work when you are hiding behind a whole bunch of netting? Or, in theory, I can put my eyes on someone, but if they're wearing camouflage and, and hiding behind a bush... I may technically see them, but glance right over them. Again, these are 
fucking sticky wickets for people. Do you guys have any have any insights on on this? On when a person can or can't hide? Yeah, on how well you you should be um, able to be seen, I guess, or or at what point are, does a DM just say, "No, you're standing in an open field, you don't get to hide," right? But when you're cloaking <laughs> through the or when you're skulking through the shadows in the dungeons. And you're wearing all black. You can make a strong, strong argument to say, I'm partially obscured. Yeah, I would... I think it's up to the player to describe what they're doing. I think that what happens with the hide action is it falls by the wayside compared to the others. Where, say if we were trying to persuade an NPC, you would tell the DM how you're trying to do it. If just you can't automatically just say I'm going to hide. If you just use the example of a crowded marketplace, you should say that the DM, I'm going to use the amount of people in this marketplace to try and hide myself because that then becomes logical. Or if you're in an open field, DM, how long is the grass? It's about eight inches long. Okay, so if I lie down, it goes over my head. I would like to attempt to hide in this grass. Um, I think if you're going to try and hide, you need to have a logical reasons why that's possible. It needs to be possible to hide for you to attempt it. Well, I ran across one of the feats called Skulker, which says you can try to hide when you are lightly obscured from uh, the creature from which you are hiding. Which, I mean, if you take this, that's what it gives you, lightly obscured. Which means, I had to look up what lightly obscured me- like actually freaking means as well, because that's a phrase in the PHB. Um, and mm. what it means is that... Um, uh, if there is anything like dim light, patchy fog, or moderate foliage. And remember, dark vision is considered to be dim light and results in a lightly obscured area. So the skulker feet suddenly just got a little bit more powerful. Even things with dark vision are going to have trouble seeing you because you can try to hide just by being in the dark, despite the fact that other things have dark vision. Yeah. Additionally, a heavily obscured area is... Darkness, opaque fog, dense foliage, anything that blocks vision completely. Or I would say over 90% is heavily obscured, right? Yeah. I do also feel like, to be fair, some of these hidden capabilities are very obscure and not very well defined. But at the same time, in my mind, if you are a character where your one thing is going to be that I am stealthy and I can hide and I'm going to take all these feats to make sure that that is a thing that I can do at will and when I want to... I would almost feel like I need to give it to them. Because to be honest with you, I have never in my life played a stealthy character. I am always you don't say. wearing heavy armor. I'm always trudging along without giving a shit. Megan plays so, one-man band. <laughs> very much so. Just when I'm walking. So in my mind, if there is a character that's going to forego so many other things, like buffs and other spells and other things, just so that this is the one thing that they are good at, I feel like it's fair to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt like when it comes to wanting to do these things. But to Terry's point, I do agree that they have to be more role play and definitive of what it is that they're doing. So if they say, I'm going to hide in the um, group of people in this, you know, market. Okay, who are you hiding from? Right? Like, what is it that you're trying to evade and avoid? Right? Um, and like to your, to their point, like if they walk into it, like if you're thinking about passive perception to your point earlier, if they're walking into a dungeon where they know there's going to be a dragon, you darn well know that dragon knows that you're there. 
So you're not hiding from the dragon. You're probably going to say, I am specifically keeping a lookout for any minions or small tracks for smaller animals just so we can avoid being seen by people that don't need to see us. I'm with you to, right? a, to, to a certain point here, Megan. I agree with almost everything you're saying. But here's the thing that I don't like when it comes to things like dragons is when we, and I've said it myself at times, when we automatically go, that dragon knows you're there. No, that dragon has a passive perception. If your stealth check beats that dragon's passive perception, it does not know that you're there unless it's actively looking for you and then it does another perception check. Um, because it kind of comes back to your original point is that some people, this is what they're leaning on. That's their ability. I would like to try and hide. All I have to do by the rules is beat this passive perception. Now it's a dragon. It's going to be like 23 or something. Yeah. But if I do, I still did it. That doesn't matter. A level yeah. 14 rogue is going to be able to beat that. Right, like they're they're built to do this, and gloom stalkers. Fuck, I don't know if you guys remember that, that <laughs> ranger episode. But Jesus. Anyway, yeah. Um. So let let's do a quick breakdown, and then I want to jump into the other. Okay, can we, I want I have a question. I want to roll initiative on this really quickly because I, I desperately want to hear what you guys have to say. When you are disappearing into a crowd, and you see that there is a a cloak that's draped over the back of a chair and in a crowded like market area and there's some cafes and you grab that cloak, you throw it over your shoulders and then you just try to walk normally and disappear and become one of the regular, you know, bystanders and all the town guard that are chasing you stop and look around. Are you using stealth? Are you using deception or are you using performance? Uh, can we roll initiative on this really quickly? Ooh. Yeah. Oh, oh I got a 20. I got a 13. For me, guys, this is uh, this is performance. It's performance all the way. You are trying to fake how you're walking to, uh, to look at something else over there and maybe do a little window shopping and you've changed the speed of your walk and maybe you're standing up straight. This is an acting gig for me. You've got a character body you're doing. It's performance. That's where I'm leaning. I like the idea of leaning into the performance because I'm just imagining Aladdin in my head, you know, yeah. when he that exact scene where he runs through the alleyway, puts the cloak over his head and starts wandering around and they still find him because he's walking like an idiot. Yeah. So <laughs> it does make sense that it would be a performance check. It's just you darn well know you're going to piss off your rogue when you say, okay, roll me a performance check. <laughs> like, you know, that's going to be a fight at the table because they're going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, who do you think I am? I can't perform. That's nice. <laughs> Try and make it look like you're, you know, like you could probably say roll stealth to see if you steal the cloak appropriately, but now you have to roll a, um, a performance check to get yourself through this, right? I think that's cute. Yeah, I like it. I think you swayed me instantly and I love it when we get to use it skills that you didn't expect. But the argument is right there. If they say, why is it performance check? Because you are pretending to be somebody else. It's a performance. Like Otherwise, I mean, unless you want to put the cloak over you and then lie down flat, then I would give you stealth. But if you're impersonating somebody else, it's a performance check. Yeah, like if you wanted to duck behind a booth and hide behind a booth until they pass, that's different, right? But if you're literally trying to pretend that you are just a regular person, like I feel like it has to be performance. That's so cute. I love would it. You, would you <laughs> accept a deception check? Um, no, because uh, you're not, um, no, for me, deception check is something active with the person. Like you're, you're speaking to them and telling them a lie, essentially. Well, um, aren't you lying with your body language? Um, hmm. 
I don't know. I, I'm kind of leaning towards Terry, where I feel like performance to me is more body language and how you move. And I feel like deception is definitely more how you carry your voice and how you can be confident in your words. Like, that's how I see it in my brain. I, I have. So I, I look, I agree with you to a point. You know, then I think of the poker table and think about people trying to bluff. Right. That's just they're using deception by controlling their facial tics and how their shoulders are and the breathing patterns. And that's all. That's all body language as well, right? I would say that, honestly, I would allow a deception check, but the DC is going to be slightly higher. Yeah, I could see that. Especially if they're going to whine and complain about how it's a performance check because you're making the rogue do a performance check. I could see allowing deception as like a compromise almost. Yeah, maybe with disadvantage or, of- or it's the DC is higher, definitely. So. Yeah. <laughs> Terry, what do you think? I can see deception. But it depends. I, I Actually, I would ask what they're doing when they put the cloak on. If it's a very simple thing that they're doing, oh, I just want to throw the cloak over me and just kind of uh, hide over here. I would say, okay, well, that's deception. But if they're like, I want to change my walk and put in a funny voice and pretend I'm suddenly interested in these spices over here, well, that's performance. You're you're impersonating something now. Mm. Yeah. Get a little bit more of the detail. Yeah, when, yeah. They, when they grab a croissant, break it in half, hold it to their forehead and say I'm a tiefling, right? Then yeah. that's going to require a performance check. <laughs> All right, so so there's more here, okay? Here's the big takeaway from all of this hiding stuff. You can sneak up on someone without being seen or heard if you succeed. You're hidden until someone finds you or you stop hiding, which means that one thing just sticks. And if you want to try to hide again to get a better score, then you got to do something new. I also like that you continue to fail and it's that like comedy routine where there's the person who's trying to hide behind the couch and no, that doesn't work. And then over behind the, the coat stand and oh shit, that doesn't work. And then uh, just like running mm-hmm. around the room and then they end up hiding behind the, the curtains, their feet sticking out. Um, <laughs> so you can't hide from someone who can see you, but you can hide from their friends who can't see you. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, in combat, if you come out of hiding and approach because that's the phrasing there, um, then the creature would need to perceive you, that, and, and they probably will. So, But if you come out of hiding and stand still or move away, that doesn't actually apply. So you can actually sneak away relatively easily. Um, and uh, and you, if you are in a lightly obscured area, you can stay hidden with a single roll. And I'm, I'm extrapolating on this one because it says that you can try to hide. In the skulker feet, right? So if you're lightly obscured, so I would say that if you have that, then and you succeed, then you are hidden, and it just counts as your regular hide. You can kind of walk around as long as you're not approaching a creature, which means you can turn the corner, stop, see the basilisk, or whatever, and freeze, and it may not know you're there. But <laughs> but to move forward means that you'll probably need it to be distracted, and distractions are really up to the DM. Right, even the uh, the player's handbook errata, which they release every once in a while and don't tell anybody about, they release errata to correct or make things clearer. It says the DM decides when circumstances are appropriate for hiding. Also, the question mm-hmm. isn't whether a creature can see you when you're hiding; the question is whether it can see you clearly. Which honestly doesn't make anything any clearer or simpler when you're coming to rules. So, because now if I hold up a giant fern. Can you see me clearly? It it doesn't really, really help, does it? Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's talk for a second about invisibility. Guys, when you're attacking a square, 
and there's a person that's invisible, you figured out that they're there and you're attacking the area, you have disadvantage to hit, right? How do you deal with it when someone has gone invisible and you don't know what square they're in and people are just attacking random squares? If they say, I know the guy's over in the left part of the room, how specific do they have to be? Well, I guess it depends on like what your team is doing. Are you playing theater of the mind so that you can be a little bit more liberal and free with deciding what square your opponent is on? Or if you're using a map, I feel like it almost has to be, if you're a DM, I would almost say like these four squares, if they hit one of these four squares, they might hit a finger or an arm, right? Just to give them a little bit more of a broader chance of hitting it, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if they don't have anyone that has any AOE abilities to see if they can spot the guy. Right, because I can also see a wizard just throwing a fireball down in the middle of the room to see if they can find it. <laughs> right, so there's so there's so many ways you can find an invisible creature depending on who you have in your party. That I feel like you could, as a DM, be very definitive about that has to be within this square. But I do still agree with if they're in that if they're in that square and they go to attack and they know that you're there, I do still agree that it would be with disadvantage, just because in my mind, even in five feet, I could technically dodge if I'm staring right at this person that's attacking me, right? So I feel like disadvantage still makes sense in my mind, but I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I think you need to, I think you need to grade it. I mean, just because somebody's invisible, we kind of touched on this a little bit, you know, there's that old trope of, well, orcs still know what man flesh smells like, you know, so you're somewhere close. Wizards are smart enough to know that where the footprints end is probably where the person is. And so when it comes to perception checks, I think you need to tier it. Okay, you roll a 13, they're somewhere behind you. You roll a 15, they're somewhere in this corner of the room. 18, it's likely any one of these four squares. You know, and then until you until you narrow it down, narrow it down, you just have to um, you just have to flesh it out a little bit with a with a you know with a little bit of exploration and some good DMing. But I think it's just a matter of how well you roll and then rewarding them in accordance with the number that they get. But the still understanding that there is more than sight that that comes into play with these things. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I, it's the environment around you. I agree with yeah. everything you just said. Yeah. So yeah, because this forces your team to use their other abilities of tracking, right? Absolutely. Do I see any footprints? Do I if I kick up the dust? Do I see anything? Right? It makes them be more creative. So and I, this is where. Sorry, Megan. <laughs> go, on. go ahead. I was going to say this is what this is a good chance to. I know Dan is a is a fan of the the mundane type things. This is the oh you don't know where he is. Well, I'm going to hurl this bag of flour. It, where mm-hmm. is he? He's over there. Okay, great. <laughs> that, I'm going to take the biggest bag of coins fire. that I have and throw this bag of coins in a general direction and <laughs> see what happens. Exactly. All of this. I'm going to throw the lamp oil over here and then light this match. <laughs> yeah, I've never had a player experience where I've hated having an invisible creature. I mean, I've hated it in the sense where if I'm dying from it, I get upset, but I've never been upset at the fact that it was invisible. Yeah. Right, it's just that's just a part of the game in my mind. Yeah. So I feel like you could, as a DM, just go as true to the rules as you want. A good one. Write this down, guys, if you like it. Is uh, take your ten foot pole and start swinging it around the room. My favorite <laughs> one that I ever saw was they had they were bringing a, a hostage along with them. The hostage being a pain in the ass, and so the party decided to uh, just get rid of the hostage. They knew there was an invisible creature in here. Someone that kept attacking them. So they said, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to use the hostage to our advantage. They opened up his cartoid um, artery. So he was spewing blood from the neck <laughs> oh and God. pointing him around the room until a guy had hit the creature and stained them. so d d Yeah. Just yeah. savage. <laughs> all right. So Just savage. Um, one last thing about hidden and stealth and all that thing. Uh, and I want to roll initiative on this, but let me break it down really quickly. There's invisibility and greater invisibility. The base difference is 
Invisibility is a second level spell. Greater Invisibility is a fourth level spell. Invisibility lasts an hour, but you cannot attack or cast a spell. Invisibility lasts a minute, and you can do whatever you want. But both require concentration. Let's roll initiative. Which one do you like better? Wait. I got a two. Eighteen. Yeah, three. All right. Megan, you're first. I'm last. What did you roll, Adam? I got a two. <laughs> Adam, <laughs> proud of you. Um, I honestly, I just, I like just regular invisibility just because of the the ease of it, I guess. I mean, don't get me wrong, greater visibility does sound better mechanics-wise, even though you only have one minute. I feel like there's a lot of things you can do in one minute in D&D, let's be real. Um, but the fact that with just regular invisibility, it has that sense of danger to it in using it, and you can be a little bit more roleplay heavy with it. I enjoy it. I feel like greater invisibility is your big bad evil guy or your like warlock wizard that just hates being around people so like just wants to piss off you know Mm -hmm. like i feel like that's what i would use it for more whereas if i like hidden you can use it as like hide and seek or you can like play a game with whatever you're fighting if you're a dm right i just feel like it's a little bit more versatile in my opinion but yeah 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 Yeah, i think i like regular invisibility because i i just love playing too close to the traffic and i i love it when there's a little bit of tension and you like it might go wrong anytime do you know what i think i was just thinking as meg was giving her answer that i wish that allergies were a thing in the D &D world wouldn't that be great if if your adventurer was had a pollen allergy or something that should go into flaws as there should be a random table of either you maybe you don't have no allergy but you should have an allergy to something it would be great if your level 14 barbarian died of a nut allergy i'd love that um but uh yeah i like i like regular invisibility because i like it that it's just not perfect and you still got to be on your toes you can't really do anything and i kind of have those visions of uh, of bilbo in the hobbit movie um even though he wasn't invisible at the time that just that hilarious tension um when he was in with the dragon that's that's what i see with invisibility i love it yeah i think that you guys are absolutely right but greater invisibility is just the perfect arcane trickster spell it just yeah. it just is. You know they're going to get up to shit. They've got a minute to get in and get out, right? And they've got all their other spells prepped, and then they can cast it. It's an illusion of, uh, you know, fifth level or lower, and it's off the wizard spell list. So, I don't know. I, I think it's a lot of fun. I also think it's fun for bards to play with. But this is... Uh, you're right. I'm going to use invisibility way more often. I'm going to get invisibility mm-hmm. when I'm rolling up a like level 15 character which has a couple of fourth level spell slots i can play with and i'm gonna let them do this so that they can get up to just shit to frustrate the dn with the dm which will be fun so (laughs) and start fights (laughs) about what it means to be hidden exactly all right any final thoughts on this or can we uh cut to a short break hey guys it's adam I'm sitting here at my computer, planning ahead and prepping for future episodes, and I'm excited about all the upcoming episodes about the player's handbook character races and the high-level monsters. We've already looked at the Merit, Steel Predator, Hellfire Engine, Kraken, Astral Dreadnought, Tarask, some Celestials, but we've got Elementals, Beholders, Devils, Demons, and more coming, and I'm super fucking excited about it. The campaign builder's really taken off as well, and Dan and I are working with the others as we're tossing around ideas for new miniseries and actual plays, but I want to hear from you guys about what you've liked, what you want to see more of, and what we haven't done any of that you want to see more of, so... Uh, And yes, there are a handful of very vocal listeners out there who are always talking about their inspirations, 
or possibly giving a shit on social media, let's be honest. But now I'm talking to you. Yes, you. You at home who listens to this has opinions and doesn't reach out. Maybe you think your opinions are garbage. Maybe there's a language barrier in the way. Maybe you're just as lazy as male slave Brad. I don't care. We want to hear what you have to say. We started this whole podcast to interact with the D&D community, and let me tell you something, if you're listening to a Dungeons & Dragons podcast with Dan and I on it, then you're part of the D&D community, you fucking nerd. So, embrace your nerdism and hit us up on social media. We've got a subreddit at r slash it's a mimic. We've got Instagram. That's a great way to get a hold of us. Facebook is pretty active too. And of course, you can reach out to us through the email at info at it's a mimic.com. So, I've given you this info now. You've heard it a million times on the podcast before, but now there is no excuse. We want to know every one of you and what you think about the topics that we're talking about, even in the older episodes. Let us know because your opinions are valid and they are important, and we want to hear about them. So reach out. I'm opening this door, and I'm asking you to roll initiative for your own conversation with us. Any of us. Doesn't have to be me. You want to go flirt with Coffee Bitch Dave, or create a a long conversation with completely normal Megan about dragons or paladins or anything else that she's spoken about? Or if you want to know what Brad thinks about an episode that he wasn't even on, any of us about any topic reach out we really do appreciate every single one of you every download matters to us every time that one of you has started listening to our voices it means the world to us and we want to hear now what you have to say let's turn this monologue into a dialogue so now that i've reached out i want you to reach back take my hand start a conversation let's let's be weird about it but for now let's get back to the episode Okay, so now my favorite thing in the world, and I know it's Megan's, is getting mm. hugged in D and D. That that grapple <laughs> factor. So, um, so this is actually why I wanted you on this episode, Megan. Um, when when I was sitting there talking to Dan, like Megan's got to be on this one. This just, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, that's what I assumed. Yeah, let's go over it. It's it's really really straightforward what grappling does and it gets a bad rap for being complicated but that's because previous editions were insane it's very very straightforward in fifth edition it is an opposing athletics versus an athletics or acrobatics check if the person trying to grapple succeeds then you become grappled a grappled creature's speed becomes zero and it cannot benefit from any bonus to its speed The condition ends if the grappler, so the person that initiated it, is incapacitated. Um, And by the condition, not just like, he's a little bit drunk. Um, The (laughs) condition also ends if an effect removes the grappled creature from the reach of the grappler or the grappling effect, such as when a creature is hurled away by the thunder wave spell. Right? So, uh, and it does not necessarily say magical so I would say that if you guys are grappling on a ship that's going through rocky seas and whatnot, that grapple would get broken pretty much constantly. All right, or there would be some sort of um, athletics check to be able to maintain it on, you know, initiative count twenty or something. So guys, yeah. how do we feel about grappling? Oh, 
this, my opinions have changed strongly in the research <clears throat> for this episode. I think I was taking a lot of things for granted that, that I shouldn't have been. But uh, should, should we roll for this one before I just go off on one? Yep, let's do it. Twelve. I got two. Oh, man, I opened up so strong, and I just got, <laughs> I have three or under for the past three rolls. I got, I got a two. I got a seven. Megan, go ahead. All right, guys. I have some feelings. <laughs> um, no, honestly, I just hate grapple because in real life, I hate the idea of physical contact. So when it comes to <laughs> D&D, the idea of being hugged by someone in-game also kind of gets to me. But I also feel like I, we don't use it enough as players. Mm-hmm. I feel like I find that as a player, I've seen DMs use it consistently. Like they find ways to stop your barbarian from moving. They find ways to make your paladin stop moving, right? Just to help them a little bit and ease things on their end. But we as players don't do it enough, right? Like I not once in my existence have I said my character walks up and tries to grapple this person so they can't run away. <laughs> well, it's not even Never. a thought that enters your mind, Megan. That's why. No. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. <laughs> it just makes no sense to me, right? I'll try and find some magical way of doing it. I will try and find some kind of like sword spell that allows me to do it, or I'll just try and kill them before they run away. Exactly. I will not just try and grapple it. So I feel like it's just not used... To the extent that it could be. Yeah. Um, and so after reading this and ta- like actually reading into it a little bit more, it makes me want to use it as a player more and actually maybe put it on my character sheet that this is a thing that you can do whenever you fucking feel like it. You don't need <laughs> magic to do this, right? No. So that, those are my general thoughts. Um, okay. So I've got, I've got a couple of big thoughts about this. One, you can still attack, right? And I think people forget that. They think that they just lose the turn if they're grappled. Yeah. Which yeah. is wrong. Two, um, when you're grappled, you can drag people. It says in the PHB, when you move, you can drag or carry the grapplee with you, but your speed is yeah. halved until the creature is two or more sizes smaller than you. So right up front, guys, you have seen this in games with me. My guys like to grapple you within 10 feet of a ledge, drag you over to the ledge, and turf you over the fucking edge of it. Oh, yes, this has occurred. Or grapple you and pull you underwater and drown you, yep. right? Like, or through one a or the other. fire. Like, I've, I've, got some, I've got some tactics with grappling. I've been dropped in fire pits. I've been dropped off cliffs. I've been drowned before. Like, well, grapple is dangerous. Let's clear this Let's clear this, uh, this rule up, though. So you can drag them as in if you move, you bring them with you. Yes. If the, the person who is grappling does not move, does that mean I can manipulate them around the eight squares around me? Because it's not very specific. I, if I move ten feet, of course they come with me. But if they're on the opposite side of the ledge, can I just suddenly flip them to the opposite square? I say that for every square that you move them through, it takes five feet of movement. Right. Mm-hmm. Which means that if you want to, if you want to turn them uh, the hundred eighty degrees all the way around, then that is four squares. I can't do that in one turn. Unless my initial speed is already 40, because now I've got 20, because I need to go four squares, and I haven't moved. I'm already standing at the ledge, right? So my my follow-up question to this is, if we're on the ledge, just if I'm being grappled, if Megan is grappling me, which she won't do, so if Adam is grappling me... (laughs) Hello, Terry. If you let go, does that mean that I let go? Because I won't. Well... (laughs) You are not grappling back. And that's one of the things is if you want to hold the other person, 
then you have to make a grapple attack against me. So right. I, I grab so, you on my turn. On your turn, you can grab me, and then we're both grabbing somebody, right? Like, and that's right. It. And then you know, someone plays some Barry White and lights a candle, and everyone else leaves the room. <laughs> uh, so, would you allow them as a reaction to attempt to grab onto them as a, after they're being dropped? As a reaction, no. Grappling is really straightforward. It's it takes an action to grapple, so you're doing it not instead of one of your attacks. <laughs> But it takes your action, right? You have... Shoot. Yeah. And it also takes your action <laughs> to break it, right? So to get out of the grapple means that you are giving up your ability to disengage or swing a sword or cast a spell, right? Like, you will still have any bonus actions you have in your movement and whatnot. But just because you break the grapple... And I've seen this. Everyone says, I'm going to break the grapple. And then they stand there. And they don't run away because they don't want to get hit. Yeah, and I'm like, well, fuck! I'm a tentacle monster. Guess what I'm doing next round? Like, here, here it comes, guys. Well, that's what my character always did. She just gave in and said, "That's cool. That I'm going to stab you in close quarters yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> I am not wasting my time trying to break this and run away. So, say hello to my sword, friend." I, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I remember, I remember the session that you realized that Megan, it was a game changer for you. Because oh, it was the best day <laughs> of my life. I'm like, wait a minute, I can hit them when I'm in this hug. <laughs> I kind of I kind of have a newfound love for this as well, especially because I like. Wow, you guys have played DVD with me. I like to fuck with things. I like to be a motherfucker, and I like this whole approach. It's kind of like a judo approach that you push, I pull. Exactly what Megan just said. Oh, we're grappling now. Well, I'm a motherfucker. (laughs) If you want to grapple with me, you better pack a lunch because I will pickpocket you. I will slide a pan, tie your shoelaces together. I'll smear my wizard's back guano in your eyeballs, and I'll cast light on your fucking retina. Like, like if, if, if you're doing this, I'm doing this. And you better pack a lunch because I'm not going down easy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the last thing that I want to point out, and this is something that everybody gets wrong. Let's say that uh, that the three of us are in combat and I grapple Terry and Megan runs over to hit Terry. Megan, you do not get advantage on that attack rules as written. Mm-hmm. Not unless you're using the flanking rules. The grapple alone doesn't provide advantage on that. Well, I feel like that makes sense. If you can attack someone with your sword while being grappled by somebody, you can defend yourself. I think that that checks in my brain. In my head, so, in my head, you're grabbing them by the collar or right by the front of the shirt. Yeah. This is not an, an arm bar or a headlock, right? And that's what it was in previous yeah. editions, right? So that's it's it's a little bit different now. Um, that's it, it's just you maintaining physical contact and keeping them from running away. Yeah, because I feel like restrained fits your arm bar and your, you know, hold positions more than grapple does now. Yeah, a- so. absolutely it does. So, um, guys, do you do you like that it doesn't give advantage? I agree with it because you are not in control and so you're not the full threat. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it just makes sense in my mind. If we're being as clear cut as it is, as grapple is what it is, it just makes sense to me. Yeah. Yep, I, I feel the same way. I I don't even have anything to roll initiative on for this one because I feel like we're all in the on the same page. Um, actually, no, I do have one. What a weird day. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I have one. <laughs> Never mind. I changed my mind. Grab your dice. Let's roll. Oh. Um, and I want to know, okay. know, would you guys play a character that would be based, like a PC, that would be based on the idea of they're going to be a grappler? I rolled a seven. I got a ten. I got a nineteen. 
So uh, for me, absolutely, I'm all about this monk shit. Flurry of Blows is a bonus action. Grapple, and I'm just going to put my knees and elbows and headbutts into you over and over and over again. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Nice. Is it me? Um, yeah, I would. My, I uh, even though I love the role playing exploration part of the game so much, I get so into the combat, and I like to think very strategically, and I like to mess with the environment, and I like restricting movement. I think it's, uh, I still to this day think it's hugely undervalued when when taking on the enemy, and I love that. I would just add a quick question though, something I would like to throw in, Adam. I don't know what you, how, or even both of you guys, how you would rule this. It's say if we're trying to grapple underwater. Megan touched on this before, getting drowned. If I have a swim speed. Do I have advantage on that? Like, I'm more proficient in, in grappling underwater. If we're falling through the air and I have a fly speed, do I get advantage on that check? For, for your check to grapple? To to either grapple or avoid being grappled. I, I don't, because grapple is more strength-based, isn't it? So it doesn't really matter what your uh, speed is. Well, no, I, I, but it's athletic. So uh, it's, it's yeah, all about true. lifting and climbing and stuff. I'm going to say this. You don't have advantage, but the other person has disadvantage. Right. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's why I would rule it. Because you are just doing your basic actions. No different than you being on land for you. But for them, it's very different. So they get disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And I can't believe... Yeah, I would play a grappler. I'd play a triton grappler because I've never thought about... And I can't believe it. Just grabbing hold of somebody, taking them underwater, and just holding them there. I'd play a high con modifier Triton so that I can take you down. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I would not play a grappler character myself, <laughs> but I do love the idea of, and I'm going to use another Dragon Ball Z reference, but the Cybermen from Dragon Ball Z, I'm imagining like a bunch of tiny kobolds that all their job <laughs> is, is to grapple you and hold you in place while whatever the big bad is doing is doing his monologue. Right? Like... There's like thousands of these tiny things that all they're supposed to do is grapple you so that your people can't move. They can still do whatever they want with their hands and fight and stuff, but they just can't move. I Megan, think that would be a very funny you ju- thing. You just gave me a phenomenal idea, okay, which is it, which is, is too late now. I played a character with both you guys for months that had a dog ally that would have been perfect for just, hey, go and grapple that motherfucker while we all throw things at them. That would have been yeah. equal. Why did I, but instead I went, get back in the tattoo because I don't want you to die. <laughs> I think that was more of it than anything, which has stopped you from even thinking that there was an idea there. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so so I want to jump on. While we're talking about grappling, and Megan, you brought it up. Let's talk about re- being restrained for a quick moment here. Because this one's pretty simple and straightforward. A strange creature's speed becomes zero, and it can't benefit from any bonus to its speed. Attack rolls against a creature do have advantage, and the creature's attack rolls have disadvantage. And the creature has disadvantage on dexterity saving throws. This is what people are thinking of when they think about being grappled, right? Like, everybody has it wrong. Mm-hmm. They think that being grappled means that you're restrained, and it doesn't. So, there's also a grappler feat. Which means you've developed the skills necessary to hold your own in close quarters grappling. You gain the following benefits. You have advantage on attack rolls against the creature you're grappling, which... Again, that monk character they come up with is just giggling now. And you can use your action to try to pin a creature grappled by you. To do so, make another grapple check. So on the next round you can do this. And if you succeed, you and the creature are both restrained until the grapple ends. So you essentially pin someone. 
Guys, this is really straightforward. I like it. It seems simple. Do you know how many times as a dungeon master I've seen someone say, I'm going to grab that guy and hold him still so he can't do anything? And I've said, there is no pin mechanic here. There was in previous editions. There's not in 5th edition. And if you do this, you're essentially just getting the grappler feat. Yeah. In your opinion, should this be something that everyone can just fucking do? If they're going to give up an additional attack? Let's roll initiative on this. I want to hear what you guys, what you guys weigh in yeah. on. I rolled a 1. 8. Uh, I got a 20. That's my second nat <laughs> nice. 20. Um, you bitch. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very happy. Um, <laughs> this feat, to me, if the moment someone else in the party takes this feat, no one else can do this. Mm-hmm. If no one takes this feat, then I'm willing to hand wave it to a certain degree. It's not crippling, and most people would rather do damage. And if they're obviously looking to restrain someone, that means that they're looking to role play or or think outside the box on a combat encounter. So I'm going to let this slide. Sure, you guys roll a couple of times, try to hold him down. He's going to struggle, but eventually you get him, right? Like, yeah. I, I'm all mm-hmm. for it, but fuck, come on. This yeah. this should just be something people can do. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'll jump on you because I'm going next. I, I, I think, like exhaustion, there should be levels to this. I, there is no reason why the Goliath fighter cannot pin the Kenku Baker to the floor. Like, there is no, <laughs> it makes no sense. But I think there should be levels. I agree with the grapple, and then I agree with the pin. I think there should be another level, and maybe I'm watching too much UFC or something. I think you should be able to start choking people out, and then just follow the whole, like, uh, drowning rules, or, oh, like, you know, suffocation rules or something. Don't get me started on that shit show. That's a long choke-out process. But if you're strong, I know because of the rules of, of, of drowning and stuff and, and suffocation, however you play it, but, you know, you think realistically that would be able to happen. Like, why am I going to fight this lich if I can restrain him, pin him to the da- ground and just choke him out? Well, like, lich, just do liches that. don't breathe, so bad example. Well, that's but a I good point. And that's the reason. <laughs> I, I feel like they don't do that because all you would do is run up and choke people out. You would stop using all of your other abilities and all you would do is run full tilt into the big bad layer and then try and choke them out. Maybe, so. but we also have ways to counteract that. If you knew that was a mechanic that you could do, then you would expect it and you'd be able to go from there. But I hear what you're saying. Eventually, it's just going to become a, a like a fantasy jujitsu match where we're just rolling against each other. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's going to get out of hand. But I think I think there should be levels to it. I think every character should be able to pin. Um, yeah. it, because, because there's no reason why not. Yeah. I think that if, like, to both of your points, talking about the role-playing side of it, if you can tell me how you are restraining them restraining them versus grappling them, right? Yeah. What are you doing differently that makes this not a grapple? Because you only have two arms, right? So you can't necessarily yourself restrain someone. So in my mind, if you're going to restrain, it's going to take more people. It's going to be a high check. Or it's going to be, like, it's going to be harder. It's just generally is going to be harder to do. Because yeah. you are... If you think about yourself as a human... And someone runs up and grabs you around the waist or grabs you around the arms as like a hug. And you, for me, I would die inside, but it just happens. <laughs> it, it, it happens in nature. It's fine. But if someone suddenly decided to try and start restraining my arms, I am going to fight back 
right? <laughs> like it is, it is a lot harder to do just in real life that I feel in D&D, it would be 10 times harder because they have so much more they can fight back with than a regular human in everyday mundane life. Right, right. So I do feel that there has to be either a role-playing aspect to it or add people to help you do it mm-hmm. or have the equipment to make it happen, right? And if you don't have any of those aspects, you're just going in with a regular grapple in my opinion. Well, and now you guys have, have made me start thinking about these ideas of levels of grappling and... So the idea that you can still attack with a weapon while you have someone grappled. So I gr- I use my left hand to grab Terry by the well. He doesn't have long hair anymore. By the sh- but by the short no. hairs. <laughs> so I'm grabbing Terry by the short hairs with my left hand, and I've got my yeah. my club in the other one, and I'm just gonna beat him with it. This is the best day of his life, by the way. Yeah. So it's <laughs> gonna be club on club action, just to get the attention, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> It's nice to know somebody cares. Yeah, I know. Um, I want you guys to know that I, I literally have my hands up as if I'm doing this as well. Like I, I'm, I'm acting this out. But let's say that <laughs> let's say that that Terry then tries to escape the grapple in his turn and he fails. And it's my turn. I can drag him up to 15 feet because I'm a human. I move 30, so um, I can hit him. Could I not drop the club and use my other hand to do a second grapple check? So now I have him by both hands and he's got to break free twice i say that i even say that if your team is willing and smart enough to do that like say that out loud as theater of the mind i would allow a roll for it yeah i like that so then he's got to try to break free and this becomes a struggle fighting in a back alley right like this is going to tie up Mm -hmm. two people this is what the grapple this is what it should be in my head i like that a lot better yeah, and when I, I I agree with what you're saying here, Adam, it's got me thinking as well because I'm thinking of that leveling thing I said early. Even when it gets to pinning, you know, if you're in the back alley and you're wrestling someone, you're pinning one down. One's going to be top. One's gonna, as I say this, it's not coming out right. <laughs> and Megan, that's where it's going. Keep as going. I say this. <laughs> if, you're the, if, you're the, if you're in the back alley, one's going to be top. One's going to be bottom. And I think you should have the right to switch that. <laughs> Is the back alley dirty? <laughs> I can't even get it out. I can't even get it out. Okay. But you see where I'm going. Like, if you're pinning somebody down, well, then I should have the right to maybe, uh, like, a reverse grappler check, check where I am now pinning you because I've rolled you over. Now, you see, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. But what we're talking about now is the complexities of 3.5 and the rules right. upon rules upon rules. So... As much as I really like the idea of mixing it up and and being able to flip a grapple or pin someone, or maybe there's a level of this that's a headlock and another one that's a freaking, you know, I step on their chest or I I squeeze them by the throat. Like, you can really get crazy with this. My suggestion to dungeon masters out there that, that have players that want to get into this or you want to play with this a little bit, A, just get descriptive and keep the mechanics the same. Or B, if there's something that really requires a new mechanic, as with most things in D&D, as far as combat maneuvers go, athletics versus athletics or acrobatics. That is how D&D 5th edition works. And that's going to be, you're disarming, you're breaking their weapon, they're so on and so forth. That's how most of this shit (laughs) works, right? So... It's true. So that's that's my big uh, that's my big suggestion for people out there. If you want to play with this, but you don't know what the mechanics are, and keep in mind advantage disadvantage, plus two minus two and plus five minus five. 
those tend to be, again, how 5th edition works. Yeah, and I do, I would like to say, like, a key point, if you are going to homebrew a rule, write it down and stick to it, right? And like, if you're going to allow it once, you might have to allow it again, so you might yeah. as well write down what you did, right? And Players remember that shit. Be clear. Be clear with them. <laughs> I mean, you guys, I don't, I don't know if I ever did this with you, Megan, but I remember doing this with Terry, and it was a it was a hilarious thing where every week Adam shows up with more handouts and it was um every time that there was some sort of new homebrew rule I would type it up print it out for all the players so we could all reference it rules as written right mm. and not just Good say call. it out loud that also forces mm. me to type it out and go does this shit make sense and yeah. and really spend some time on it so when you're going to homebrew combat maneuvers and shit really take your time on it look at what else is out there and what this is similar to and remember that this shouldn't yeah. be about the math. It should be about the flavor and the effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. So that being said, let's uh, let's show, let's cut to a shout out. Hi guys, Dan here. I just wanted to shout out that once again, we're hitting y'all with another mailbag episode on June 20th. This will be mailbag number nine for us. And each one has been um, traumatizing, revealing, a massive invasion of your beloved host's privacy. I don't know. Either either way, it's a good time for all. Join us as Adam, Terry, and myself again answer a whole slew of questions tossed our way by you guys. And, like is tradition at this point with our mailbags, we will answer any question you guys may have. And I do mean any. Jesus, Pepperina. If you have any questions you want us to answer on air, remember to contact us on social media or at info at itsamimic.com. Anyways, on with the show. What a lovely shout out. That was amazing. I'm so glad that we record those live. So the last, <laughs> the last condition that we're going to go over uh, today is the prone condition. This is my least favorite thing as a dungeon master. I'm going to say it right off the bat because everyone's always looking to make the monsters prone and it drives me up the goddamn wall because it's actually kind of powerful. Mm-hmm. A prone yeah. creature's only movement option is to crawl. Unless it stands up and thereby ends the condition. However, standing up requires half your movement. And when you crawl, it takes half your movement. So either way, you're no further ahead from a movement perspective. A creature that is prone has disadvantage on attack rolls. An attack roll within five feet of the creature that is prone has advantage. So if you're going to hit them and you're standing over top of them, you have advantage. Otherwise, if you're farther away than melee, so if it's a ranged um, attack, the attack roll has disadvantage because they're a smaller target. This makes a lot of sense to me, but man, do I just hate prone guys? How (laughs) how do you feel about it? Let's, let's, let's roll dice on this. Let's roll. Yeah. Two. Nine. I got a seven. Mine's going to be very short when we get to me because I've already said it. Megan, what do you got? Uh, you're like, I, you have emotions is what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like prone is the one that neither like, you know, a player as well as DM. No one likes having been knocked prone. It is the most frustrating thing on the planet. Um, so if you want to piss off your players, knock them prone. If you want to piss off your DM, knock the, <laughs> knock the big bad on, like onto prone, right? Like it's no one likes it. And it's it's the one condition that I find is very hard to make fun unless you are legitimately playing in a lighthearted setting. So that's why I find this one is my most reluctant to do 
because as serious as I like my D&D gameplay to be, I don't like getting cranky over the fact that my character can't move because sometimes just as a human, you can't help but get cranky. And this is the one that will get me cranky. Mm -hmm. So that's why I don't really like it. However, I do enjoy the idea of the fact that the the ranged attacks do have disadvantage because you could use being prone to your advantage if you are being arrowed to death, which doesn't happen often, but it was a neat thought in my brain. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, I I, got to ask then, Megan, do you like it better than being restrained or grappled? Because you said the movement thing pisses you off. Well... I think it's I think it's the fact that to be able to stand up it takes away half my movement. Whereas like if I'm being grappled, I don't yes, I can't move, but I can still do other things. Yeah. Um and restrained is very hard to do. So out of the three of them, I think prone is the one that drives me the bonkers most. Mm. Just because I don't like having to try and stand up again. Cuz then you're like, okay, I stood up. I now only have 15 feet. But I don't really want to break my distance or whatever. So if I don't one-shot this thing, I'm going to be knocked prone the next turn. Right? So it's it's almost like you're stuck in a loop. Once you get knocked prone once, it's going to happen for the whole damn fight. So I think that's why I hate it. But yeah. Those are my feelings. <laughs> Honestly, I absolutely hate prone from a DM perspective. I've said that. It just it drives me nuts. Oh, I'm going gotta, gotta to knock him prone. And there are some battle master things fucking dan used to knock shit prone all the time there's a bunch of spells and stuff that knocks things prone a lot of the high level monsters as well when you get to tier four a lot of stuff is hitting you and knocking you prone um a a lot of elemental stuff is knocking you prone as well um and it just it drives me nuts because being knocked prone immediately changes the scope of the battlefield because things can't move as much as they could it really, from a DM perspective, I want control over this so that it's nice and balanced the way I planned it. The moment the prone happens, there's an imbalance, and not necessarily a good one, like for the yeah. for the players. So, I don't know. Prone is a wild card for me. My thing that mm. I would like to see, and for tactical players, think about this: if there are a bunch of archers and you don't have anything ranged that can hit them, or they're popping out, shooting, and jumping behind cover again. And you need to get there, crawl. You'll go slowly, yeah. you'll get hit less often, and when you get within 15 feet of it, stand up and run. Right? Like, that's, mm-hmm. I think that that makes a lot of sense. They may end up seeing what you're doing, dropping their bows, picking up swords, and dashing towards you, at which point they'll have advantage for one round, but you're not getting peppered with arrows. I, yeah. I think there's a legit tactic to be had around being prone, especially on large battlefields. Uh, and, and people don't do it enough. I also like the idea of going prone to hide behind things. If there's a small crate that, no, you can't hide behind that. What if I go prone? Ooh, well then, yes. I'm just lying on the floor. Just look at me. I'm just lying down. (laughs) Yeah, because, because then on your turn, you can use half your movement to stand up, to make your ranged attack, and then to, to flop back down again. Yeah. Right. My only my only complaint is, can you guys picture the um, the guy with the wand or of magic missile? Well, magic missile is a bad example, but a firebolt or the the heavy crossbow, and he's lying on his stomach, peering over the hill, aiming at an enemy. Why mm-hmm. does he have disadvantage on this attack roll? Adam, you read my mind. Why the hell do I have disadvantage when I'm laid down with my heavy crossbow? 
Because your uh, range of vision shortens. No, you. I, I was in the army for six years. If somebody starts shooting at you, you fucking lie down immediately. Well, you run forward, then you lie down. But still, you're more and, accurate. And you, are you, though? More accurate when you're lying down? Yeah. Okay, you try and shoot a target from 100 yards away from laid down or from standing up in miles, miles, miles easier when you're laid down. Prong. I think I've shot a gun once, so... Okay. Uh. <laughs> but but it, it, it's true, though, right? It, it, it's, it's a more stable position. It's a more stable mm-hmm. position. Makes sense. Yeah. Now, to try and fire a longbow from prone, not going to happen. A crossbow, sure. A blowgun, absolutely. Spell attacks, there is no reason why they should be at disadvantage. I'm pointing. He's over there. He's there. I'm laid down. Shoot him. Like, there's no reason why that should be a disadvantage. Um, so I don't agree with that. I think the way around that is simply to have in the, in the, you can put it in the weapons list, you know, where it's like, it's light, it's versatile, whatever. There should be a word or term that means that this weapon does not have advantage if you're prone or maybe even, um, ignores the disadvantage at distance or something like that. But I don't think everything should automatically be a disadvantage because technically things are, some weapons are much easier to use, yeah. um, uh, from prone. Um, um, I actually love prone. I do love prone. I tried to use it when I was when I was playing Titus, my fighter character. Occasionally, I tried to use it. He was heavily armored, but he used crossbow expert with a heavy crossbow. If there was something I didn't want to go toe to toe with, I just fuck off to the back and lie down and fire my crossbow, um, so that I was harder to be hit, but I could still hit them. Um, at the time, I realize now that we overlooked that I should have had disadvantage on those attacks. But it was uh, no, like that two was, years ago. So that whatever. wasn't overlooked. That was very much I, I hand waved that on purpose because uh, because. That's a homebrew for me. I think it's fucking stupid, and you should have just been able to attack normally. Yeah, um, but and but also I think it's it's overlooked by a lot of distance characters. Wizards, if you're standing at the back and you have no intention of going toe to toe with people, lie down immediately. Lie down. If, if if you know, obviously there's going to be circumstances where that doesn't work. If there's archers, you're going to be hit by longbows or something. Don't do that. Um, well, even then, it's disadvantage, so it doesn't matter. But I mean, if you're going to be attacked by melee, don't do it. But if you're way at the back and you're blasting off spells, lie down. If you finished your movement, Adam touched on it earlier, and you don't want to be hit the next round, lie down. Especially <laughs> if you are going to use area of attack or buff spells. Right, anything yeah. utility based because it's attack rolls that have disadvantage, not spells. We're now creating a new um, a new generation of characters that just lie down all They're the just, time. Just fucking lie down. It's the new generation. Just D and D gameplay. Just, Every five D&D, seconds, someone's lying down. D and D has now become eight hour sessions of trench warfare. Yeah, <laughs> just, <laughs> just lie down. Fuck, they call that three point five. I will hold my action until somebody stands up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's grab our dice. And what I want to do is I want to look at the idea of invisibility and hidden and stealth. I want to look at the idea of grappled, restrained, proned. Let's say that this shit is happening to you as a player where you can't find someone who's hidden. You have gotten grappled. You are restrained or prone. It's the negative side of that coin. How do you have fun? Because most players, when this happens to them, they push away from the table, they cross their arms, and they pout. You know who you are listening to this. You know you do this. (laughs) You end up restrained and go, well, fuck. And then you just get (laughs) angry until your turn, and you start your turn with the words, well, I guess I, because there's nothing else you can do. Right? So (laughs) I'm excited. I love it. I'm ready to go. Yeah, let's, let's, let's roll. 
17. I, oh my goodness, I got up a 10. I got a 17 as well. I got a 2. All right, roll again. Uh, I got 13. 5. <clears throat> I'm going first? Oh, excellent. <laughs> I said it earlier on, but it, it's that judo principle, not that I do judo. You push, I pull. Okay, if you're restraining my that movement, if you're me grappling me... If you're well, restraining okay, my movement and we're staying here, well then, motherfucker, we're staying here. If I'm restrained and I can't move, my job, according to me now, is to cause absolute havoc so that the enemy's focus goes on me because then we can predict the battlefield. Hey, I'm going to start blasting off my mega spells here to force them to engage me so that you know where they're going to be. You know what's happening now. It takes away the uncertainty. When everybody can move, everybody can go everywhere, we know what to expect. When one person's stuck fast and they start blasting off bullshit, you have to engage them. We know the enemy's going over there. We deal with them there. The, the, what I said to you guys before about if you grapple me, that's absolutely fine. I'm going to smear my back guano in your eyeballs. I'm going to cast light on your retina. I'm going to, for sleight of hand, slice the laces on your boots. If you decide that that's what you want to do with me, pack a lunch because I'm going to fuck with you and make it life as hard as possible. <laughs> if they push, you pull. Terry, I, uh, I I feel like fuck, man. You are the kind of guy that if I put you in a headlock, you're gonna bite me. That if you and I, yeah, you and I yes. are grabbing each other and, and we're wrestling, you're gonna start gouging. You're gonna go for the fish hook or the eye gouge, or you're the kind of guy that is gonna piss himself just to make me let go. And that's Adam. <laughs> you took it to the extreme there, but that's right because if you decide, not you, Adam, who had me in the me metaphorical uh, headlock, but if if you decide that that's what we're gonna do, well then pack a lunch because I'm tripling <laughs> down on that. So you better be sure that that's where you want to be with me because you're not fucking leaving. And that's why I said earlier on, just because you let go, does that mean I let go? Because if you're like, I'm done with this grapple, I can't. He's a psychopath. I can't handle it anymore. No, 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 no. I'm not finished. We're staying here. I, yeah. I feel like you're the know, person, Terry, that the monster grapples you and you roll to kiss just to make it yeah. look good. <laughs> you want to make everybody uncomfortable. Not only the thing that you're fighting, but everybody else in the room. Like, <laughs> you're like let's see how far we can take I, I'm the, honestly where it's like, uh, if I can tell that somebody's charging towards me, I will drink the acid and hold it in my mouth and then spit it in their eye when they grapple me. Like, that's, there you go. You made that decision that we're doing this, so now I'm tripling down on this. I, feel, oh, I feel like you're the character that's like, the monster roars in your face while he's got you grappled, and your response is, I moan. <laughs> Fuck, Harry, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> I moan oh, and writhe against it seductively. <laughs> like, oh, fuck. God. Oh, Lord. We haven't had Uncle Terry really on, this, well. on this fucking podcast in a while. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, I'm, a, I'm just a psychopath. I just need help, I think. <laughs> oh, Lord. <clears throat> Okay. Make well, just to take it back down a notch, I feel like, <laughs> like I am <laughs> probably the character that has been grappled the most out of most playing characters on the planet at this point, and I am the character that I will sometimes huff, and I know this about myself. So honestly, talking about this has taught me to be more mindful of it. So in future games, I do feel like I will be that person that like might like I've rolled my eyes every single time I've gotten grappled, but at the same time, make it fun on your turn, right? Like to your point, yes, I'm grappled, but now it's your chance to be creative with it. Like you have a sword or if you've got a bow and arrow, but can't shoot the bow and arrow, try gouges eye out with one of your arrows. Like this is your chance to be creative. Yeah. Or like if you're acrobatic, I try and do a backflip over top of them and grapple him back, right? Like this is your chance to use those 
combative to your point, like a jujitsu type style, like battle to have, right? Like a tit for tat be like, okay, well, we're in close quarters and I'm not going anywhere. So what can I do? Right. Mm -hmm. Cast fireball on yourself if you have to, like that would just be cinematically hilarious, right? So just enjoy it as opposed to being pissed off about it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Your character might die, but at the end of the day, at least you died doing something fun. Right. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's the way you got to go out memorably. Yes. Not alone by yourself in a cave being turned into a zombie. You were not alone. You just were with people that couldn't help you. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Sorry, my life. <laughs> oh, oh, Terry's bud. We're going to talk after the recording. We'll make sure you Oh, Lord. <laughs> Look, honestly, Hello. for me, role-playing, you, there's always something you can do. Even when you're grappled or restrained or stunned, unless I'm paralyzed, petrified, or unconscious. There's something for me to do, and I will try to find the fun in it. If I end up grappled, if I end up restrained, if they tie me up with ropes and there's nothing I can do, I can't cast spells, I can't, that they've gagged me, I can't talk, I, I can't swing a weapon, I can't even move, I'm going to scream. And it's going to be funny. <laughs> I'm going to flail and I will describe it for the entirety of my turn. What the flailing and the writhing and the moving is. I would say, okay, yeah. so I am wrapped up in ropes and, and I can't move. Can I at least wiggle? I would like there to just be wiggling and writhing over in the corner. And I just mm -hmm. want to add that extra little level of insanity to the to the battlefield so that people also, the other players, remember that I'm there. Because a lot of times yeah. one person gets grappled and everyone else is still fighting everyone over there. They don't realize that there's an arm wrestle over in the corner. Right? Yeah. And so I'm now imagining a player saying, hey, I'm restrained by these ropes in the corner, but can I use one quarter of my movement to wiggle myself across the room? <laughs> right? Like, I, towards someone. I, I love the idea of, I know I can't crawl, but can I log roll over towards the fire? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I know I'm being uh, grappled by Tiamat, but can I use the command spell and just go, shit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to I wanna come up with, with hilarious ridiculous ways of of staying engaged myself making this fun because i yeah. want to sit there and scream and pout and freak out so that the moment that someone runs over to free me and they pull the gag out of my mouth i'm just gonna be oh my god finally oh i've been sitting here the whole time but and like it lets me stay engaged and be interactive and have fun which is what this is all about it's not always about yeah. damage right i want to yeah I, and I'll do that if my, like, if my bell gets rung when I get, like, stunned and stuff. Where even when I get stunned, I sit there and I go, I could, what? Right? Like, yeah. I will have that <laughs> moment where I am. And you know what? Dan does that really, really well. I have put him under so many condition effects yeah. in, in every session that he has found the way to have fun role playing. But, yeah. but I mean... Is there is there anything else that you're looking at here where you're like, hey, I've got some advice for everyone else listening for for you guys to have some fun? I think my last thing would be I tried to touch on unorthodox usage there. It's just look if some everything was in arm reach on your body, just look at unorthodox usage. You mentioned Dan earlier there. Dan used to have a magic line which was that little stool that he could make into a bigger stool. Yeah. It was a tiny little stool. If you're getting grappled, jam that stool into that orc's mouth. <laughs> I'm jam this into the orc's mouth and set up. 
You know, there's 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 any number of things you can do. You just got to get a little bit creative. It's spit in their eye, like just anything to be uh, to be productive. Um, it, it's it's not the end of your game just because you're grappled or you're restrained. Yeah, and I do feel like we're talking about how it's designed to be creative, but the thing to remember about conditions is that they're being added to the game to add a sense of realism as well, mm-hmm. right? Like, you, realistically, someone is going to try and stop to move you. Realistically, someone is going to trip you so you fall down a hill. Like, those things are going to happen. These are just the rules and regulations to make, keep you as a player safe and keep the DM safe as well. So it's, their whole point of it is to add to the story, not take away. That would be what I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if the moment I'm taken out of combat, is the moment that I'm going to start looking around and exploring the the surroundings. I'm going to start saying, okay, I want to use my perception check to do this, investigation to do that. I want sleight of hand to try to get out of these ropes, whatever it is. I'm going to go lean on my skills, or I'm going to start role-playing. And what mm-hmm. you guys, I mean, I don't know the last time was I was a player. But if you ever see me just give up and start role-playing, or I'm, I, I give up and I'm like, wait a minute. What is in my pockets? And I start flipping through my my notes. Something stupid is about to happen. And it's going <laughs> yeah. to be either very hilarious or very exactly. awesome. So Yeah, absolutely. So that's uh I the more limitations that you put on me until I get to like zero percent agency, the more limitations you put on me, the more creative I have to get. And I feel like the people that pout that don't like these things that grapple or I can't find the guys invisible. What am I supposed to do? We turn the corner and he hid. Like you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Also yeah. enjoy it. Do you guys have any, all right. So last one, cause I know we have a couple more minutes. Any final things that you would say to help people a tactic to find someone who's invisible. Oh, bag, of coins. Ba- bag of coins. Bag of coins. <laughs> well, not, o- not only because you can just toss coins in the air and see where they land, but it's the same thing as dust. If they have to walk over those coins to move, you're going to hear the coins crunch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, it, it, yeah. It, 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 anything. Yeah. Bag of coins, bag of flour. Take your 10-foot pole out and start spinning around until it snaps like, 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 a, like a pool cue. Set the room on fire. That will that will reveal where they are. You know, think D and D. Don't be like, oh my goodness, what are the spells that I have? What is it? Cause absolute chaos, and the world will come to you. Yeah, I feel like, the, like you have that tattooed across your ass, Terry. That's the metaphor for my life. That's the metaphor for my life. You push, I pull. I'll cause fucking chaos. Oh, you want to do this? Right. Okay. Well, we're setting everything on fire. Uh, on, honestly, that was my answer too. Was fire, but more so for smoke than anything else, because creatures got to breathe, right? <laughs> um and so i That's would right. really really heavily lean into that as well um is making it so that they can't stay put whatever you're doing Ter- terry you guys did this to me in the demon keep way back when where there were invisible demons and there were a bunch of freaking closets and you guys were just tired of it so you lit the room on fire i'm like holy shit <laughs> and you guys just heard screaming tiny demons just burning to death <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so that's it for this week's episode on conditions. There are many more to cover, and we'll be circling back to them over the next few months. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also find us at www.itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com. Thanks for listening to the It's Mimic podcast, and make sure to check us out next week when we're covering Bronze Dragons, Terry. I know these are your favorite.
You've reached the end of another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Connect with us at itsamimic.com. Don't forget to subscribe and hit those share buttons. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Okay, guys, so which one do you like better, slow or haste, as far as spells go? We talked about movement a whole bunch this episode. I just, I was just curious about this. Do you know the difference between them? Well, they're the opposite of each other. <laughs> uh, kind of. The- thematically, yes, but mechanically, almost. Yeah. So, for for slow, you get a negative two to your AC, and for haste, you get a plus two. For um, slow, you get negative two to your dex save, but... For haste, you actually get advantage on dexterity saving throws, which is more powerful, right? Mm-hmm. And then for slow, you uh, can either use an action or a bonus action, right? And uh, you can't make more than one melee ranged or attack during a turn, no matter what. But for haste, you can you get an additional action that you can use to attack, dash, disengage, hide, or use object. Also, the other thing is that... Um, for slow, if a creature attempts to cast a spell with a casting time of one action, you roll a d20. On an 11 or higher, the spell doesn't take effect until the creature's next turn. Which I don't think anyone... I've never seen that at a table. I don't think anyone's ever played with that in front of me. Um, and the cre- Yeah, that doesn't even sound familiar. Yeah. <laughs> and the creature must use its action on that turn to complete the spell. So it takes essentially two huh. turns to cast a spell. Um, and... Uh, when for haste when the spell ends the target can't move or take actions until after its next turn as a wave of lethargy sweeps over it so it's true so it that wears off and again i mean haste lasts up to a minute so does slow and they both they both uh need concentration on them so anyway so you want to roll for it let's see what do you guys think sure I got a natural 20. Well, I got a 9. I got a 17. <laughs> Terry, weigh in. What do you think? <laughs> I prefer slow. And the reason being that I am, in my own mind when I'm playing this game, I'm, I'm a counterattacker. I do what I do based on what they do instead of having a set plan in my mind of what I would like to try and execute. And so this allows me to do that better. When I limit their options, I already know my full range of options. So when I limit their options, um, it's easier to counterattack against as opposed to going the other way. When I'm adding options to myself, I find it harder to do that in the moment. It's like analysis paralysis. There's, there's, there's too much for me to think about. How do I do the right combination now that I have this extra stuff that I can do, but they still have their full arsenal. I prefer to strip them away and then counterattack off their limited options. That makes a lot of sense. As a dungeon master, let me tell you something. Slow frustrates the shit out of me. You get haste, that's fine. I just pull the gloves off. No problem. Here's the thing yeah. about slow that I kind of skipped over. Haste, you get to choose one willing one willing creature that you see within 30 feet. For slow, you can get up to six creatures in a 40-foot cube up to 120 feet right. away. So, and also, I mean, just knocking me down. How many, how many monsters have multi-attack? That is built right into them to make them scarier. It's the action economy. That's how we build it. You have just you've just crippled. You've put the entire encounter on on easy mode, right? So slow for me, infinitely better to pick as a as a player. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know. I I 
I just hate the fact that they're both concentration. I know that they're supposed to be, but it kind of I hate concentration spells, especially when they're <laughs> buffing spells. Like it just it just drives me nuts. But I in my mind, I like the idea of haste because I am a player that likes to boost my comrades, right? Like if I've got the barbarian, I want to give him that ability to be fucking all that is that for 20 seconds. You know, like I want to give them that joy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like the debuff to it of having to skip a turn and do all that kind of stuff just seems awful sometimes when you're nearing the end of a battle and you're scared of that haste dropping. And if it accidentally drops, you're putting them in more of a detriment than you actually helped, right? There have been many times where I've put haste on someone and it went nowhere. Where there have been many times where I've used slow and it's been more successful than when I've used haste, if yeah. that makes sense. It's kind of like uh, like I always preferred Bane over Bless. I kind of have the same uh, theory for that. Yeah. I do like buffing my partners and my my comrades, but at the same time, sometimes it is just easier to hurt the thing that you're fighting than it is to try and buff your team and fail at it. So I think that that's, as a player, that's why I would probably go with slow before I go with haste. Yeah. And the multi-attack seems pretty good to me. The fact that you could do it to more than one person. Because I did like the idea of putting haste on your big, big bad and then dropping it. But of course, they stopped that by saying it has to be a willing creature. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> I just thought it would be a funny tactic to be like, oh, you're hasted, but I'm going to drop it. So now you skip a turn. Sorry, friendo. <laughs> Moving on. Right? <laughs> right? So, but yeah, so I would say slow. I agree with y'all. But. You have to roll a, a persuasion <laughs> check on the big bad to be like, hey, do you want me to haste you? Kind of like, <laughs> please. <laughs> Absolutely. That'd be great. It's Thank you. It's an check. Like, Get faster. <laughs> <laughs> Then again, I'd reward them probably with that creativity. So I'd be I mean, like, you, you know could, what? <laughs> you could try it on like an ogre or somebody who's easy to trick. That's true. <laughs> oh, Lord. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs> <sighs> okay. You got this, Adam. That's the name of my sex tape. <laughs> Not you got this, Adam. Just, oh. just big sigh. Okay. <laughs> Either works. Either works. (laughs) I was like, oh, wow.